Today we are going to be in the book of John chapter 11, and we are going to read about a man named Lazarus. This is one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. I'm sure you've heard it if you have been in church once in your life, the story of Lazarus. And how many people are thankful for the word of God? How many people believe in the word of God? I don't know if you know this or not, but the word of God has power. The word of God has authority. And so as we read this passage today and we talk about Lazarus and we pull points from this story, I do want you to know that this is not just a history book. It's not just a storybook with made up characters. No, this word has power and authority. It's actually alive and active. Hebrews 4.12 says, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. That is the power of the word of God. And my prayer for you today is not that you would hear my words, but you would hear the living, active, breathing word of God, and it would speak to the deepest places of your heart today. So John chapter 11, reading about a man named Lazarus. We're starting in verse one. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Skip down to verse three. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So Lazarus is sick. Lazarus' sisters send word to Jesus. Jesus then stays where he is. Meanwhile, Lazarus dies and Mary and Martha are waiting. All of a sudden, Jesus decides to show up. Starting back in verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said, but Lord said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time, there's a really bad odor for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you? I hope God never has to tell me that. Don't you? It's like he tells us to do something and we're like, are you sure? And he's like, did I not tell you? Okay, moving on. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to him, take the grave clothes off and let him go. Now, if that is not like the greatest miracle already, skip just a few verses to John chapter 12, verse one through two. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. It's casual. It's not just another day. Jesus raised him from the dead. Here's a dinner. Uh, Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. And listen to this. Listen to this. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with Jesus. This story of Lazarus is one of the greatest comeback stories of all time, in my opinion, second to the story of Jesus. We see Lazarus in a matter of days, goes from alive, healthy, well, living his life, minding his own business. And then all of a sudden he gets hit with sickness. Okay, he's sick. And then he gets really sick. He dies. And then he's really dead. He's dead for four days. He's rotting, like deteriorating decomposing people. And then Jesus miraculously resurrects him from the dead. He's now alive and healthy again. And then in just a few verses later, he is reclining at the table with Jesus. 
It is crazy to me how fast things can go south, isn't it? I don't know about you, but this looks a lot like my life. One day I'm good, one day I'm bad, one day I'm good, one day I'm bad. But this story has a lot of key principles and um, just secrets in how God works and moves in our lives today. And I believe as we find out how Lazarus made this comeback, it is going to help us not panic in hard times, not give up in hard times, not lose heart, not question God in hard times, because we know if we just hold on a few verses of our life, come on, we are going to be sitting at the table with Jesus, relaxing and reflecting on the goodness and the faithfulness of God. But it is quite the process to get there, and that's what we're going to talk about today. If you're taking notes, the title of this message is, It is Time for a Comeback. It is time for a comeback. Does anyone agree with that today? I think it's about time, right? Don't you? I think it's about time that the people of God make a comeback. I think the enemy has gotten his way a little too long, don't you? I think it is time for a comeback. I don't know about you, but I lose things all the time. I'm always asking Marshall, where are my keys? Where's my phone? Where are my, where's my purse? I'm constantly losing track of things, and I'll never forget. Um, I went on my first mission trip when I was 16 years old to Thailand. It was a four-week mission trip, I think. It was a four-week. I'm like a go big or go home person. And I was like freshly saved. So Whitney Bates and Bianca Barja were leading that trip and they were having to lead freshly saved 16-year-old Madison. So they did an incredible job. But I bought a camera for this mission trip because I wanted to take pictures of everything. I wanted memories of everything. And I was literally taking pictures of trees and clouds and the animals in the street and like crazy stuff. And fun fact, me and Bianca were tent roomies. And um, 60-year-old Madison was asking her, like, so if someone believes in Jesus and then walks away from them, are they still going to heaven? Like, those kind of theological questions. And Bianca's, like, doing her best to help me pray for her. Um, she's still doing the same thing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anyways, I bought this camera. And on the last day of this trip, we went to the mall to have a celebratory celebration before we leave. And uh, Thailand malls are insane. Has anyone been to Thailand? They are like, there's <laughs> a few people on the front row. They are like insane. This was like a four-story mall. They do not play over there in Thailand. On the top of the story was a movie theater. We went into a movie, and then we went all the way back down, and then we got in the bus. As I get in the bus, I'm like, oh, my gosh, where is my camera? I can't find my camera. And you know there's always that one student right? That one kid, you get in the car, you're all packed up, you're ready to go. And they're like, I forgot to use the bathroom. You're like, okay. So Whitney was so gracious to let me go find my camera. Um, I haul up the four flights of stairs looking rampantly for my camera. And then after a few minutes, I can't find it. And I'm just like, I have to give up. I, I lost it. It's over. I go back down, get on the bus, fly home, and I lost all of those memories. I lost my camera. To this day, it's like the most devastating thing that I've lost because all that I remember from Thailand is what I remember in my head. <laughs> but when we lose things, it can be so devastating, can it? Not just materialistic things, but I want to talk to a few people today in this room who you feel like you have lost something this year. 
maybe lost something in your past. And maybe, again, it's not materialistic, but it's something that, that you lost that stole like quality of life, stole who you are. And when we lose things, we lose them for one of two reasons. One, our own mistakes or our own decisions, like I did losing my camera, or it's stolen from us, right? It's robbed from us. And what I felt like the enemy was doing specifically this year was he was robbing people. From robbing people, the people of God, stealing things. In fact, John chapter 10, verse 10 says the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. What has the enemy stolen from you this year? What have you lost this year? Maybe you lost your joy. Maybe you lost your peace. Maybe you lost your passion or your drive. Maybe you lost your your hunger for the Lord. Maybe you lost your job or your business. Maybe you lost a loved one. Someone that you, I mean, so many people have passed away. So many people have lost their job. And the enemy has been stealing and robbing from the people of God. And when we lose things in our lives, it can be devastating. But listen, I'm here to tell you today that what you do in the midst of loss, what you decide to do in the midst of loss will determine if and when you make a comeback. What you decide to do in the midst of loss, because we can learn something from Mary and Martha in this passage. Mary and Martha were about to lose their brother Lazarus. Lazarus lost his health. He was about to lose his life and they knew this and they had two options. They could either focus on the sickness, right? They could either focus on the disease and complain about it and blame people for it, try to figure out why and how it happened, or they could not focus on the problem and go to the solution, which was Jesus. And that's exactly what they did is they went to Jesus And I I can't move on today without emphasizing the fact that in our lives, the temptation is to focus on the pain, focus on what we lost, maybe question God, why would you let this happen? Why would you let this happen? Or maybe blame somebody. Lazarus, it was what you ate, it's your fault. Or it's so, you got it from so-and-so, you shouldn't have gone there, we blame people. Mary could blame Martha. You did this. No, you did this and caused division. And that's what happens when we focus on what we have lost instead of going to the answer, which is Jesus. We have to go to the answer. We have to go to Jesus. We got to go to Jesus. The way we go to Jesus is in a moment of anxiety and a moment of pain and a moment of frustration. We literally stop. And we say out of our mouths, Jesus, I need you. I need you. Maybe on your lunch break, you go out into your car. You say, Jesus, I need you. Maybe you stop, go into the other room, say, Jesus, I need you. And you call on the name of Jesus. Lord, the holidays have been so difficult. The holidays have been so hard. It reminds me of who I lost and how I lost them. Lord, I need you. We have to go to Jesus. Can we decide today to be like Mary and Martha and not focus on the problem, but decide I'm going to go to Jesus because I know that Jesus is still the answer. Do you believe that Jesus is still the answer? He is still the solution. Come on. He is still the healer. He is still the savior of the world. 
He is still the Prince of Peace. Jesus is still the answer. But here's the whole problem with this passage, which is so frustrating to me. The problem is that Mary and Martha went to Jesus. They did the right thing, but Jesus did not come in the timing that they wanted him to come. Jesus, in fact, intentionally waited and stayed where he was. And meanwhile, Lazarus dies and Mary and Martha are there waiting on God. They're waiting on him. They're waiting on God. Have you ever been in a season of waiting on God? I think we all have, right? We've all been in seasons of waiting on, waiting on a promise from God, waiting on an answered prayer, waiting on a dream, waiting on God. But waiting seems so discouraging, doesn't it? Like no one likes to wait on things. Who likes to wait? Any impatient people out there? Can you relate with me? I am like the most impatient person you will ever meet in your life. Anyone who knows me knows if I'm hungry, I want food now. I'm going in my car, I'm going to get food, and I'm not going to wait to eat it when I get home. I'm going to eat it in my car while I'm driving, most likely. Anybody with me? No? Okay. A few of us. A few of us. All four of us in this room. Okay. No one likes to wait. Marshall's birthday is in two weeks on December 12th. Guess when I gave him his birthday present? A week ago. Three weeks early. Why? Because I didn't want to wait. I got it. I wanted to see him smile now. What is the most dreadful place on the entire planet Earth? Anybody know? The DMV. The DMV. It is like the worst. I will do anything not to go to the DMV. Why? Because it is one big waiting room. No one likes to wait. And when we think of waiting, we think of discouraging. We think frustrating. We think annoying, boring, depressing. We picture like taking a nap, doing anything you can to get entertained. But I want to today redefine your definition of waiting on God. Because it is a lot different than we think it is. Waiting on God is not sitting on the back of our seat and saying, God, if you do it, you do it. If you don't, you don't. I'm just going to try to entertain myself and do whatever I can until you answer. No, I want you, you to see this verse. It's in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 in the ESV version. It says, but they who, what? They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. I thought waiting took away my strength. I thought waiting weakened me. But it says, waiting for the Lord will renew your strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. I thought waiting made me weary. I thought waiting made me tired. No, they will not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. I don't know about you, but this scripture is the opposite of what I think of when I think of waiting. Why is that? Why is it that this verse is the opposite? It's because in the, the original language of this word, wait, it is kavah. It means to look for, to hope, or to get this, to expect. And that's what I want to talk about for a moment is the first thing that we need to do if we are going to make a comeback is to expect, to have expectation. You know, God is drawn to expectation. 
He is drawn to expectation. That's why every time you walk in those doors over there and you come to church, you always hear us saying, raise our expectation. Raise your level of faith. Let's raise our expectation. And Lord, we expect you to come. Why? Because he is drawn to expectation. Waiting on God is not sitting back and saying, it's not passive. It's being on the edge of your seat, getting ready, being ready, saying, God, I expect you to move today. I expect. If you're waiting on God, if you are in a waiting season, I want to encourage you, start expecting. Start expecting God to come through and see what he does. If you're waiting on financial breakthrough, expect it to come. If you are waiting on a, on a job interview, a, a job opportunity, expect it to come. If you're waiting on healing in your body, expect it to come. If you're waiting on a God encounter, expect it to come. Because expectation, expectation changes everything. It changes everything. When someone, when a woman is pregnant, we call it what? Expecting. We call it expe- not waiting. We don't call it, oh, they're waiting. Even though they are, no, they're expecting. Why? Because when you're expecting, you're getting things ready. When you're expecting, you're buying things and you're studying and you're, you're working while you're on the edge of your seat saying it's, he's going to come any day now. It's expecting. Expect God to move. God is drawn by expectation. I love Psalms 27 verse 4. It says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. God may not come exactly when you want him to. He may not come exactly how you want him to, but he will come. We just wait with expectation. So Mary and Martha are waiting on Jesus after Lazarus had passed. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up after Lazarus had been dead for four days. And Lazarus, or Jesus, he tells them to roll away the stone. And they're like, I don't know if you want to do that. He smells really bad. He is dead, dead, like dead, dead. And Jesus is like, listen to me, come on. And so they roll away the stone. And Jesus, when he resurrects Lazarus, it's different than I would think, right? It's different because I would like pray for Lazarus. I would intercede for Lazarus. I would lay hands on Lazarus. I would encourage everyone. Jesus doesn't do that. You know what he does? He stands back and he says, Lazarus, come out. That's a whole lot different. It wasn't a prayer. It wasn't even a question. It was a command. Commands have to be obeyed. And the second thing that we need if we're going to make a comeback is obedience. First is expectation. Second is obedience. We have to obey the word of God. Because so many times the temptation, if we find ourselves in a dead situation like Lazarus, is to pray which is so powerful. That is like step number one is to go to Jesus. But if we don't have action behind our prayers, we will just be in a grave, dead, like Lazarus. We have to obey. Jesus had come out and Lazarus had to obey if he wanted to come out of the grave. I was picturing this as Jesus said, come out. Lazarus is probably laying down. His first step of obedience was probably opening his eyes, right? Second, probably sitting up and then putting his feet on the ground, standing up on his feet and taking one step after another. 
And the next thing he knew, he was out of the grave. A lot of us think that obedience is like, like people just show up out of nowhere. Like miracles just show up out of nowhere, right? How did they get that? You know, how did that happen? You know, you, you've <laughs> rewind my life. Look at 16 verses 23. It's like, it seems like it's just one miracle, one step of obedience. No, no, no. It was step after step, baby step after baby step. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, you are out of that grave. What I'm trying to tell you today is that your comeback starts with one baby step of obedience. One baby step of obedience. What is God asking you to do today? What is the baby step God is asking you to take? Maybe you've been ignoring it. Maybe you've tried to shove it away. Maybe you've just tried to pretend it wasn't there, but you know what God's asking you to do. Baby steps aren't flashy. Baby steps aren't like Lazarus is out of the grave and everyone is cheering. No, no, no. No one saw those baby steps. They're hidden. You, you don't get applauded for taking a baby step. But the consistency of obedience will get you your comeback and get you out of any grave. Your baby step of obedience could be as small as joining a group. It could be as small as starting a group. It could be as small as reading one verse a day. It could be as small as spending time with God for 15 minutes a day. It could be as small as giving someone a word at Walmart or praying for someone or shooting someone a text just thinking about you. Those are baby steps. They may seem small, but baby steps over time will bring you your comeback. We have to expect and we have to obey. And the last thing that we need if we're going to make a comeback is to trust. This is where I really wanted to land today. It's because we have to trust. The reason why Lazarus, he was alive and he was resurrected, it was awesome. But that's not the end of the story. The comeback was not the end of the, him being resurrection, re resurrected was not the end of the story. Fast forward in John chapter 12, Lazarus is sitting at the table with Jesus, a bunch of people, probably laughing, probably having a good time, probably reminiscing and reflecting. And Lazarus is chilling, relaxing, he's reclining. You know why he could do that? Is because he trusted God. He trusted him. You know, when you trust God, you can have true peace. You can relax. You can sleep good. You can rest easy when you trust God. But when we don't trust God, we get all bent out of shape. We start working hard and gritting it out and staying up and stressing. And we're so anxious. Get our feathers, you know, no, feathers ruffled and panties in a wad. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> all those things we get so bent out of shape when we don't trust him because we're trying to do it on our own strength but when you trust God you can truly have peace maybe the reason you haven't had peace in your life and you can't sleep and you're you have you are just filled with anxiety maybe it's because at the end of the day you may not trust him no fault of your own I mean he may have been late. You've probably been praying for years. You don't see breakthrough. But at the end of the day, we have to trust. trust. Do you trust him? If he doesn't come how you want or when you want, do you trust him? You know, this word, 
the word of God is filled with promises, filled with promises from God that we can stand on. And I want to remind us of two promises, two very powerful promises that I think are going to just change our entire walk with God as we remember and declare these two promises. First, God promises that he will restore. He promises that he will restore. I don't know if you know this, but we serve a God of restoration. To restore something means to bring it back to its original state. It means to bring it back to its original state, to restore something. My uh, mother-in-law, Cheryl, is amazing. And when I, yes, she's right over here. Love you, Cheryl. When I was single, um, if I got a stain on my clothes, I would just throw it away if it didn't come out in the washer. Right? Well, when I started dating Marshall, Miss Cheryl showed me that I don't have to throw everything away. I just give it to her and she's like a magician. See, she is the queen of laundry. I think something's ruined and I'm about to throw it away. She's like, give it to me. I'll take care of it. She takes it, wash it, does whatever magic she does. I mean, and then when she gives it back to me, it's almost better than when I bought it from the store. That is the perfect picture of the restoring power of God. The restoring power of God. What you thought was over, what you thought was ruined, what you were about to throw away, what you thought was dead and is going to stay dead in the hands of God. He can restore and bring it back to its original state. What you thought you lost at the beginning of the sermon what you thought was lost, what you thought was stolen from you. Guess what? Our God is a restoring God and he will bring it back to you. And I just declare over every single person here that God will restore to you everything that you lost. There's this scripture, Deuteronomy 30 verse three in the message version. I love this. And I think some of you just need to put this on your phone, put this on your, in your car, put this on your mirror and just declare this over your life. Deuteronomy 30 verse 3 says, God, your God will what? Restore. How much? Everything. God, your God will restore everything you lost. He'll have compassion on you. He'll come back and pick up the pieces from all the places where you were scattered. God, your God will restore everything you lost. Second promise that God makes is that he will redeem God doesn't stop at restoration because God doesn't want us just to go back to who we used to be and where we used to be, where, where we were in 2019. God doesn't want to just take us back. He wants to redeem. He wants to use. He wants to use what you lost. Turn it around for your good and his glory. Because to redeem something, restore means to bring back. Redeem means to buy back. And when you have something, it is yours. You have possession of it. You can use it freely. Newsflash, you can't use what's not yours. Don't do that. But when it's yours, you can use it. So when God says, I'm going to redeem, I'm going to buy back, he means I'm going to use it. I'm going to not only restore what you lost, but I'm going to use what you lost for your good. Just really quickly, um, as I was growing up, I grew up with this girl named Macy, a couple years older than me. I always looked up to her and loved her like an older sister. Um, she never had a relationship with God, was never interested in God or spirituality at all. She was quite the party girl. In fact, um, that's maybe where I got it from when I was younger. But um, we were always just really close. And 
a couple years ago, she fell in love with this man named Oz. They had a beautiful baby girl named Bella. Isabella, we call her Bella. When Bella was one month old, Oz had passed away in a car accident. I'll never forget. I was actually in the church parking lot when I got that call that Oz had passed away. And all I could think of was like, oh my gosh, Macy's going to be devastated. Bella doesn't ever lost her dad. What? How could this happen? Why did this happen? I was so worried about Macy. Went to the funeral and watching Macy grieve and mourn is probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to watch. Some of you in this room may have loved ones who have had to grieve like that. Maybe you have grieved like that. It's, it's not pretty. It's messy. It's painful. And Macy had to have pain meds just to get through it every single day. And it was so hard watching her go through this. I remember a couple, I was with her, I was with her the week of the funeral. So a couple days after the funeral, we were sitting on the back patio and she had known that I had a strong relationship with the Lord because I was an intern at the time. And she started asking me about God. She'd never mentioned God, ever, never. She said, Madison, why would God let this happen? I said, Macy, I don't know why God would let this happen. I don't know why things happen in our lives, but I can promise you that he will use this. He doesn't cause everything, but he does use everything. And he did not let this happen, but I know he's gonna use it. I don't know how, I don't know why, I don't know when, but he will use this. She asked me, she said, do you think God will ever bring me a man like Oz to partner with me and help me raise my baby girl? I said, Macy, yes, yes, I, yes, God, God will give you a man to be with you. It was like a promise. I was like, I promise you he's going to do it. He will use this and he will bring you someone. So awesome. A couple weeks ago, fast forward a couple years later, this was a couple weeks ago, me and Marshall went to Macy's wedding. She married, listen, she married a man of God named Caleb. Caleb loves Macy like Jesus does, has practically led her to the Lord, raises Bella to love God. And I was talking to Macy a couple days after the wedding and she was telling me that her, her relationship with God is thriving. It's like it's never been in her entire life. That, that she literally is reading the Bible front to back. She prays with Isabella every single night She's asking me for spiritual books that I could recommend. I mean, her relationship with God is thriving and her and Caleb are raising a godly family. And I wanna tell you this today because that is a perfect testimony of the restoring and the redeeming power of God. I don't know what you've lost today. I don't know what you've lost this year. I don't know what the enemy has stolen from you, but I can declare the promises of God over your life that he will restore it and he will redeem it that everything the enemy meant for evil god will turn around and work for good I'll work it for good i'll work it for good god will restore to you everything you lost and he will use it he will redeem it i think it's time for a comeback don't you I think it's time for a comeback. I think it's time for the people of God to stand up, to go to him, to have expectation, to obey him and trust his promises and make a comeback. It's time for a comeback. Some of you have been down for so long. 
wondering when God's gonna come through, how he's gonna come through, you can trust his word. And one day, just in a couple verses, not, not too long, soon, you'll be sitting at the table laughing and reflecting of the goodness of God, of how he got you through 2020, how he got you through everything you've been through. And in fact, you'll be able to use it as a testimony and say, if God did this for me, he can do it for you. We've been saying the statement, redeem the year in the year. Redeem the year in the year. I don't know if you've thought this, but uh, it's, it's almost December. I don't know if it's quite re- re- redeemed yet. And I don't, maybe you've thought this, maybe it's a little too late. Maybe it's a little too late for redemption. And then as I was reading this passage, I realized Mary and Martha were probably saying the same exact thing about Lazarus. It's too late. It's day four. He is decaying, rotting in the ground. But I want to tell you today, our God is here to redeem and to restore. Maybe, just maybe, God has been waiting on purpose. Maybe he's been holding, maybe he's stayed where he was just a few more days to wait for the very last minute to wait for the very best time, the right time to come through for you. So you couldn't say it was your own doing, but you could say God did this. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It is time for a comeback.